It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Well, <clears throat> welcome everybody. Welcome to Money for Lunch. I'm glad that you're here. Always thankful for you, our local, our loyal listeners. Some of you guys also may be local, but loyal listeners, thank you so much. Uh, all right, so we're going to jump into it. We're going to get this party started with the quote of the day. A leader is best when people are barely, I'm sorry, a leader is best when people barely know he exists. When his work is done, his aim, his aim fulfilled, they will say, we did it ourselves by Lao Tzu. A leader's best when people barely know he exists. When his work is done, his aim fulfilled, they will say, we did it ourselves. Interesting thought from Lao Tzu. All right, we're going to jump right into it. Our guest today is Greg Cazera. Greg Cazera is the president of Learned Leadership and the director of marketing of Shale Crescent USA. He is a professional engineer, environmentalist, environmentalist, and leadership expert with more than 40 years of experience in the natural gas and oil industry. A regular magazine and newspaper columnist, Greg is also the author of books, just of two books, just the Frax, ma'am and learned leadership. The high school soccer team he coaches has won 14 regional and five state championship. He understands leadership and teamwork. Greg Cazera, welcome to Money for Lunch. Hey, good to be with you, Bert. You know what? I'm excited uh, to have you here. And we were talking a little bit before the show and we were, you know, you were talking about one of the things that uh, that our country is lacking is leadership, and and you know I think that one of the reasons that we are lacking in leadership is because we have gotten this weird idea that uh, we're not supposed to do hard things, that we're not supposed to have problems, that um, you know that somehow uh, all these things are are a detriment. And the reality is that we can do hard things and our character is built or defined or shaped or enhanced when we accomplish or when we overcome hard things. Your, your take on this, am I, am I in the right direction? You, know, are you, you agree, are disagree? so spot on, Bert. And one of the, my favorite quotes, and that's a good one you just read too, is President Kennedy, we're going to the moon not because it's easy, but because it's hard, and it defines our character as Americans. That's that's kind of a. But think about that. That was that was we just celebrated 50 years since the moon landing, and I remember being in grade school at the time, thinking, and all my teachers were talking about how hard this was going to be, and you know it was like they doubted it, and I'm thinking we're Americans, we can do anything, and we can pull this off. And, you know, think about how powerful Kennedy's dream was because he didn't live to see it accomplished. But he was able to instill that in the whole country, and that's what I call a leader. I mean, a leader that's, whose vision is so powerful that even when after their death, it lived on and 
you know, we've done so much as a country. And I use that as fuel for a lot of people that, you know, if you think you're having it tough, look what we've already done as Americans. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I was reading this really sad article. uh, And in this article, somebody had done some research and like 20 or 25 percent of parents were calling their college kids who live on campus or thereabouts, waking them up so they're not late for class. <laughs> I, you know, now I'm old school. I mean, I, if I my kids were missing class, I would show up one time with some cold water and possibly, a, you know, some kind of a beating, and that would be the last time. I would have to deal with that. Just, you know, you're spending my money and you're not getting there on time. Let me wake you up to reality. Um, and, you know, it, it seems like, and, and this is the thing that I don't understand. A lot of these parents who are making their kids soft are parents who work their butts off to get to where they're at. I just don't understand why they don't see that there is a significant reward for hard work, for you know, putting your head down and grinding away, and they seem to be robbing their kids, and they just don't understand that. I just, I don't know where, where we got off track. Well, you know, I, and I can. My my son is a regional manager for a large company, and he called me one day, and he said, Dad, he says I know when you were a manager, you did a lot of interviewing. He said, Did you ever have an interview? where the parents showed up with the interviewee. (laughs) He said, said, I've had multiple of these, and I've I've never seen it. He said, the parents came with the guy that I was interviewing, and they asked most of the questions. And I said, did you hire him? He said, hell no. (laughs) I mean, that is like, wow. I mean, it's kind of scary that hopefully we haven't, Fallen to that level, I, and I don't, I don't still think so because I, you know, I get to, I'm still a high school coach. I'm working with young people and and do a lot of even programs for young, uh, you know, high school and college students. And uh, you know, I'm call, uh, adjunct professor at a community college, and I'm impressed with what I see. So I'm really hopeful that that's the minority because, like the students at the community college that I teach at. Were working full time jobs and attending class, and they were paying for it themselves. Matter of fact, one young lady was actually her, her dad was unemployed, and she was helping him in addition to going to class, in addition to working a full time job and paying for her own school. So that's those folks are doing incredible, and yes. I think if there's a problem we have is the people that aren't. I don't know what you know if if, if they're concerned about why not. I think all they have to do is look in the mirror. Absolutely. Well, and and here is uh, when I realized that it was a bigger problem uh, than we ever expected, and that is there is an episode of Last Man Standing where a the the young man who is going in for the interview is accompanied by his mom, and. The entire interview, the young man in question is texting on his phone. 
and and essentially doesn't say a word. And his mother's saying, you know, my, you know, uh, whatever the kid's name is, Steve is a hard worker and he'll show up on time, blah, blah, blah. And, and of course, uh, the owner of the business says, well, why don't we let Steve talk? And, um, you know, and <laughs> stuff like that. You. So it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it, so it's, uh, you know, that, you know, that when, when the, uh, sitcoms are making fun of a, of a subject matter, it must be, you know, more than a one-time occurrence. So I, I just thought that was just wild and, and, uh, and hopefully, hopefully, um, yeah, we'll, there'll be some correction there, but back to your, your students that are, you know, the students that, that are paying for their own way, that they have some skin in the game that are doing some hard things. Those are the ones that we want as leaders and they will automatically emerge as leaders because they know how to deal with stress. They know how to deal with working hard. They know how to deal with, you know, call it rejection or, or having to overcome difficult times. You're right. And I think, the world, as I look at it, and I think your quote was so spot on, because as a leader, the way I look at the world, even as a high school coach, if we lose, that's not all my fault, but i got to look at, okay, what happened? When we win, it's everybody wins. But the, the key is those, those young men have to learn to, to deal with. Which sports are great because you don't always win. And so when we do lose, Okay, guys, what do we need to change? And one thing they can never do, uh, they know I'll go off, you never blame the officials. If you lost, what did we do different? Did, why did we give the, that official so much control of the game? We weren't playing as well as we should. So they understand early on in the game that you, you start practice in August, and that's what ch- determines whether you're going to be at the state tournament in November, how hard you work. And that's if, if you can drive that point home, and I think it takes leadership. And what I love is when I see the young, young men step up, and that's what we've seen for years. Those young men step up, and as adults, we can step back and watch them lead this thing. And it's, it's thrilling to watch them. It takes about six weeks before they really begin to grasp and really start to take hold. But, boy, I'll tell you what, Bert, once that happens, it's phenomenal. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story how power that – because. As, as adults, how important this is to us because you never know where that boomerang is going to go. But uh, my wife, about five years ago, was in a really serious car accident, and it was bad. She she, she was a diabetic. She is a diabetic, passed out, and long story short, flipped the car, rolled it like mm. three times, ended up on its top, broke her neck, had a big gash in her head, and ended up in – the emergency room, and that was on a Friday night. Sunday morning, this whole team of doctors comes in to the uh, ICU. And, you know, they're talking in low whispers and, you know, serious business. And just as they're getting ready to leave, my wife says, she just whispers, talk. And the head <laughs> trauma surgeon comes over, and he, he's got to put his ear down over her mouth because she's all tubed up and everything. And she said this, Bert, she said, a trip to Disney World planned for the middle of next month. Is there any reason I can't go? And <laughs> the whole group starts laughing. And, and he looks at me and he says, well, you know, might be a little uncomfortable if you're driving. I said, I got plane tickets. And he said, no problem. Now, that's – but here's the rest of the story, and the really important part is I recognized one of those young men. 
And as, we're, as they're leaving the room, he looks at me and he says, do you remember me, Coach? And I said, Nathan, I'll never forget you. This was in 12. 1999, the first time I was first year I taught leadership to these high school young men, and they'd never been to a regional championship, never been to a state tournament, and that was their goal, to play for the state championship. And Nathan was the kid in the state semifinal game that scored the goal to put us on our first state championship as a school in soccer. And and he, I said, should I call you Dr. Uh, and Nathan, he said, well, I am Dr. B.C. You call me Nathan, Coach. But here's the cool thing. He understood a dream because that's what they – That's what they. I mean, that was a real stretch dream for them at that point. Guess who my life's doctor is for five days? She's got a dream to go to Disney World. He understands it. The next day, he's got her in a walker going down the hall. She gets discharged wow. on Thursday. And now, one month later, we're, we're, I got a picture of her in front of a haunted mansion with our oldest granddaughter at Walt Disney World. And Dr. Nathan is now my wife's cardiologist. <laughs> so, wow. You know, and he's a leader. I mean, that's the stuff that, you know, you can't, I can't make this stuff up. I'm not that creative a guy. But, but you see how I didn't plan on that. But what a blessing to have that young man to be my wife's doctor. And now to have her in continuing as her doctor, it's phenomenal. He's done. He had a matter of fact, he did a surgery on her two years ago since then. And uh, and but but that's what we have to be doing. We have to be developing. And Nathan got where he is today because of hard work. Because of we went through a lot of adversity as a team, and I'm sure he did as he went through med school. But but what I what I've learned is our biggest successes on the soccer field, in business in my own business and in my life have always come following some, usually some real serious challenges. And I think it's the challenges that we learn more from that make us stronger. Yes, absolutely. Uh, You know, you look at some of our biggest innovations have come from our biggest problems. I mean, the space thing, that was kind of a a self-inflicted problem because we chose to do that. But, you know, over and over and over again, you have these different products that were tested and made for that space mission. And, and uh, you know, we have the, uh, as a term of termopedic, I already pronounce it, termopedic bed that's, you know, that was uh, designed or created by the folks at NASA. And there's just a list of different things that came out of, quote, solving that problem of getting men to walk on the moon. And, and, but, Putting that aside, give you know if there's a big problem out there, entrepreneurs have solved it, you know, or or you know, uh, innovative leaders have solved it. If you want to use that expression, it's it, it's just you know that's the way humanity is. And you give us a problem, we rise to the challenge, and we solve it. And you know, think about where we've gone. <clears throat> And, and, you know, some of your younger listeners may not even remember this, but I remember the Arab oil bar embargo of the 70s. Yes! I also remember the energy crisis of the late 90s and early 2000s. And can you imagine, we've gone, we've gone from the point where, you know, we had to worry about turning the lights off. And, and I mean, we, we were in serious trouble. I mean, we were getting ready to import natural gas from our friends in Russia and, and Iran. I mean, that's how bad it was in 2005. 
to be the point where we are now the energy gorilla of the world. I mean, we're the leading natural gas producer, leading oil producer. We've got uh, nuclear power. We've got coal that we have in abundance, and we know how to clean it up. And, and we've got our renewable packages. So there's so much we can do as a country, and it's all because of, you know, we went through that hardship. And, you know, it was Ameri- it's all about American ingenuity, American creativity. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so let's talk about this uh, since you brought it up. Again, uh, being joined today by Greg Gozera, and he's got two books out. One of them, Learned Leadership. I'm going to put that in the notes. And the other one, Just the Fracks, ma'am. I'm going to put that in the notes as well, and you can link to them and, and check them out. So let's talk about what is happening. What does the picture of American energy independence look like under the, quote, Green New Deal, unquote. Talk about this. Well, there is not. I mean, you know, and this is this is the point where I, I worry about. You mentioned our young people, and and thank goodness the, the, the young people I get to work with are really good at putting pieces together. In other words, once you put things out there, they are they're they've been able to assemble the. Once they have truth, they know what they seem to know what to do with it, but. Here's what the whole Green New Deal is that they they mentioned we're going to 100% renewables. Well, that I guess I'll and I'm a, I'm a dreamer and you know you know tell by you know high school kids my wife, but we can't have 100% renewables and it's not because I wish we could or wish we couldn't it doesn't matter because the sun doesn't always shine. We know that 12 hours a day on the average we're going to have darkness no matter where you are on planet Earth. Solar panels don't work at dark and to build batteries. That, we're talking about some massive technologies, that, and and we're talking about getting some rare earth metals out of some places like China that, you know, aren't necessarily our friends all the time. So, and and the process to get those rare earth metals, it, you know, it's created creating radioactive lakes. So I have a problem with dead Chinese. I mean, I really do. That's not right. So you look at, but renewables right now, how they work best: sun shines during the day, and at night. Natural gas kicks in, and then all of a sudden, you know, you've got a hot 24 hours of, of light. With the Green New Deal, that doesn't happen. But it's a bigger problem that most people don't even think about is you can't have windmills and solar panels without fossil fuels because solar panels, the products that are, make those products, come from oil and gas wells that evolved in fracked. They come from petrochemicals. And we wouldn't be having this discussion without oil and gas and hydraulic fracturing because the, to- the phone I'm talking on is plastic. Airplanes, you know, you know, anybody that says they're running for president, they're anti-fossil fuel, that's great. Then do what, what we always tell our young people to do as leaders. you got to set the example. And if I don't believe in fossil fuels, then, by God, I shouldn't be on an airplane that's made out of plastic and fueled by fossil fuels. Or a train or an electric car is 70% plastic, petrochemicals. And we don't have a, you know, we can go back to the 1850s, but my wife is on a CPAP. we got people on EpiPens. I mean, if you're anti-fossil fuel, that's like looking those folks in the eye and saying, it's okay if you die. And that's that's serious business to me. And that's a great leader needs to be thinking bigger than their election and bigger. But they need to begin to understand a bigger picture because you're going to be leading a country. You need to be thinking about everybody. Yeah, and I agree with you. Look, can we do more 
with wind and solar? Answer is yes. Uh, and can we get off of some of this stuff that we're doing? Absolutely. But I agree with you. I think 100% is currently not feasible. Now, again, that's a problem that maybe somebody smarter than you and I or a group of somebody smarter than you and I, maybe they'll fix in, a, in 5 or 10 or 20 years, right? That's the well, great thing about the petro- having these problems. The big deal is the petrochemical part. That's, sure. That's, that's a real problem because they're, they're, right now renewables don't make petrochemicals. They only make electricity. You've got to have other things to build those, those other components, and you can't grow them. i got good friends at Ohio State, and I said, what about this? And they said, well, Greg, the other problem is you get off fossil fuels, how are we going to feed people? We can't. I mean, these are folks that understand farming. They said, you can't do it without modern farm equipment. You can't do it without some of the chemicals we actually have to use for, you know, fertilizing and, and pest control and whatever. So, you know, there's some things you can do. You can do organic farming, but you can't feed the world on organic farming. It takes too much, too much acreage. So, you know, we need to be always looking to the future and looking to do better. But, you know, I'm, I'm also an engineer, so when I look at the background, I said, okay, Show me. If someone wants to do something, and, you know, before we went to the moon, we put a, we built a rocket and we put a satellite in orbit. We took steps. So I'm still waiting. If this is going to be the trend, if we can really do this, I want someone before we go all in and start killing people because we don't have petrochemicals or the light light doesn't work 24 hours a day when the wind's not blowing and the sun's not shining. What I want to see is someone, one of those leaders, step up and say, okay. My county, we're going 100% renewables right now or in the next five years. Show us that it works somewhere, and then we'll believe you. If I tell my kids, don't smoke, guess what dad better not be doing? Right. Well, and again, I think, I think what your, your point there is well taken, right, that, that it just, you know, we have these things that are an absolute necessity. You mentioned the EpiPens and, and some other uses, uses uh, like, you know, plastics. And, you know, plastics are uh, literally everywhere now. Uh, <laughs> I just read a, I read a report where they said the average human eats about a credit card's worth of plastic per month or something like that. Because – Plastic doesn't dissolve it. It just stays in our, you know, it just stays in our, it just keeps getting smaller and smaller. But anyway, putting that issue aside, you know, bottom line is, I agree with you. Look, there are certain things, uh, you know, and if you're not doing an epi, look at all the plastics at a hospital. What are you going to do with all those plastics at a hospital, right? Uh, oh, absolutely. You, you, know, know, and, and, you can't have, can you imagine going into surgery without plastics? Without right. Those nylon or those whatever, those rubber gloves or whatever we want to call them. You know, I don't want a doctor operating on me without the, you know. I mean, I want to make Absolutely. sure that those, those instruments are clean. And I want to make sure that that, you know, but, but the modern, modern electronic medical equipment that's finding so many of our problems, that's fixing so many of our problems, it's all plastic. Yeah, yeah. So, so let, let me ask you this. Uh, so what do you think would happen – to our future if we don't adopt this Green New Deal. I mean, uh, you know, of course, you, you have one side that's saying, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, 
And, and of course, you have the other side that says, no, we're going to be okay. But, you know, you, you've been in this industry for, what, 20 years, right? Uh, 40. <laughs> oh, 40 years. All right. Uh, so, it's been a while. Give us your take on it. Well, here's, you know, and I think what I'd love to see is, and engineers are kind of shy people. I, I don't know if you realize that, but what what I what I'm uncomfortable with is we got a lot of scientists and university people making these great pro- proclamations. Very few engineers step up, and, and and the sad part is a lot of engineers are very easily intimidated. So sure. you know they don't want to get into the mix, so to speak, and and so they'll just kind of sit back. And that's that's a bad thing because they understand what's going on. But he, here's what I look at is if we got a problem, and, and I'm going to assume we do, so how do you solve a problem? It's kind of like we did with the, the mission to the moon. We got a bunch of smart engineers and scientists and technicians together, and we fixed it. And there's right now today what probably a lot of your listeners don't even realize is the United States has lowered our CO2 levels by 14% in the last eight, ten years. The rest of the world is up 19. So can you imagine if we didn't lower our CO2 where the world would be? And the real problem is even if we do the Green New Deal, the real danger is not here. We still, if, if all the naysayers, if all the people that are talking about catastrophic problems, if we don't, if they're serious, and if this is all true, if we don't fix China, India, and the other Asian countries where most of that CO2 is coming from, and not just CO2, a bunch of other garbage too, if we don't help them, and that takes leadership because you can't pass a law in the United States and fix China. It ain't going to happen. Right. So we need people that understand how to influence. How do you influence the Chinese? How do you influence people from India? And how do you – because they don't want dirty air and dirty water. How do we help them? Because if we don't fix them, if we don't help them – it doesn't matter what we do here. It's all and, – and my thoughts are let's put the right people together and come up with a problem. And that problem, the other thing that I learned is, as an engineer, don't assume what the solution is. For the last how many, 15, 20 years, we've said the solution is no fossil fuels go to renewables. Take that off the table and say, look, here's the goal. We want to lower global CO2 by X, Y, Z percent. Right. Then – Turn them loose. Let them do it. Don't get in the mix. We don't need government telling engineers how to, how to do their job. Just say, here's, here's what we want for this country. Here's what we want for the planet. Let's all work together and do it. That's called leadership and teamwork, and it's possible. We've already seen it happen. But we need to have these scientists or these – there's a lot of groups out there that I'm not sure they're really for people as much as they're for an agenda. Because, you know, the real winner in this thing, if we would choose to do Green New Deal and get off fossil fuels – real winner, the number two oil producer in the world, the number two gas producer, is a little country called Russia. And do you think they're going to quit production when we, when we decide we're, good, we're not going to produce any more oil and gas? Who the heck do you think is going to fill that void? Right. It's going to be Russia. And well, it, that's and here's my situation take. for the planet. Yeah, you know what? And, and here's my take. Look, look, there are certain uh, – Arizona – Arizona, this is where the government can do some good. Uh, Arizona has like 355 days of sun. And it seems 
that we as a society, as a government, should look at places like Arizona and Death Valley and say, hey, how can we harvest the sun here, right? I, I think a place like Arizona yeah, is a great experiment to say. That's solid engineering. Let's use right. Arizona where we got sun. Let's use Florida where we got sun. And let's and, and Disney's doing a great thing down there. They've got solar panels out in that park. The beauty of what they're doing, they got solar panels, and during the day when there's all these people in the park, the sun's shining. Well, right. at night when the sun goes away, that's okay because now they can use natural gas to fuel the park, or they can use, you know, even people write off coal. And I've seen some incredible because we're so darn smart. You can reduce, you can almost eliminate. So there's so that's why I don't think we ought to be taking anything off the table. Let our scientists, let our engineers actually work on the problem without government and some of these anti-groups trying to influence it, because that scares me. When people are, are and I'm, I'm convinced that some of these groups have got their own self-interest in mind and not us, we the people. And that, right. that, that worries me. That's very bothersome. And that is, by the way, the biggest problem. You have these special interest groups who have big pockets, and they know how to manipulate the system or work the system or however you want to phrase it. And those are really the big problems uh, because politicians cannot resist somebody who says, I'm going to donate millions of dollars to you, but you got to help me achieve this. And I think the reason that, you know, coal has gotten such a bad uh, rep is because we've had not one, not twice, but numerous occasions where these coal uh, what do you call it, uh, lakes, whatever they're called, have broken and have, you know, endangered people and crops and animals, and, and that's just unfortunate. Uh, it happens, uh, and I think that could we, you know, it's, my brother has this saying, it's never so good it can't get better. It's never so Absolutely. bad it can't get worse. And so, you know, could the coal industry do a better job? The answer is yes. But they could also do a worse job, you know. I mean, and so it's never so good it can't get better. Um, I want to back up a little bit and talk about something that you said earlier, that we get a lot of our energy from fracking. I think you said something like that. What is fracking? Give us kind of a, a quick primer on that. Sure. Hydraulic fracking is really pretty simple. It's pumping either water or sometimes even things like nitrogen gas, and all hydraulic fracturing is is creating a crack in the rock deep underground that produces the oil and gas, and it creates a crack. And that crack to to the gas molecule or oil molecule is like a superhighway. And all it does is allow that that material to flow to the to the well pipe and up to the surface. So we've been doing it for, gosh, 70 years. I mean, so... That's the other thing that bothers me as an engineer. We've got a process that's worked for 70 years. Nobody knew. Nobody cared. And there weren't, any, there weren't any big problems. And today there still aren't any big problems. And they, there were groups that were able to demonize it. And I was fascinating as an engineer when I first heard that. I said, nobody's going to believe that. The only problem was the oil and gas industry never came out right. They should have come out right away and said, that's wrong. What you're hearing from these folks is wrong. Here's why. And yeah. so, yeah, we, and, and the hard reality is, is every well is fracked. 
I mean, there's a few offshore wells that you don't need to do it, but for all intent and purpose, fracking is like putting tires on a car. If you don't frack, you don't have a well, you don't have a well and gas. And we frack, we've been doing it for 70 years, Russia fracks, the OPEC countries frack. So it, it's, you know, I, I think, you know, and most of the stuff, as a matter of fact, very little of the stuff that I actually hear from the anti-groups are true. They're, they're really good at putting half-truths to this stuff. And, and that bothers me because that really impacts us as our, you know, our ability to produce petrochemicals, our ability to produce oil and gas. And right now, today, as we speak, Europe banned fracking. Well, shortly after that, Russia ran a 48-inch pipeline from St. Petersburg to Germany. Later this year, and it may be done already, they're running what they call Nord Stream 2 through the Bering Sea, another 48-inch pipeline of Russian fracked gas to Europe. Now, Europe's going to be buying Russian gas, two, two completely full pipelines of it. It's all fracked, and it's at Putin's price. <laughs> so, and, you know, and now I've got a young uh, grandson that's a Marine. So we know Putin's making money on that. And what's he going to do with that money? Is he going to spend it on his military, or is he going to build parks and schools with it? I don't know, but you can guess. As a right. grandparent, is, it, is there a possibility my grandson could be facing bombs and bullets and a military fueled in part because of the profits that Putin's making from Europe because they banned fracking? That's the rest of the story, and that, that really concerns me. And well, let me ask you this. better to do that? Europe, if they did it, would do it under a lot of environmental controls like we have in the United States. Right. I've had friends but, that have worked in Russia. And let, let me ask you this. Me, we're getting <laughs> short on any, time. So, there are very few environmental con- concerns there. Yeah, yeah of, of course, of course. It, it, same thing with China. One of my – you know, I, I really dislike – Chinese people are good. China government, not so good, uh, that's, and maybe we'll pick that topic up in a second. But I want to talk about this, since you mentioned this European ban uh, on fracking. Didn't New York do a ban? Well, I, don't know, I don't know. Is that well, ban still in place? They, they but what happened? Talk about that. Go ahead. No, they, they, and that was the same thing. They, I remember being at one of their gas meetings back in uh, – before they had the ban, and they were having these public meetings, and I said, aren't you guys going to those? They said, no, 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 no there's a bunch of crazies there, and I said, yeah, but if you're not there, they're going to say whatever they want, people are going to believe it, and unfortunately, we have a frack ban in New York, Is and you know what's sad is that part of the state is, can you imagine being a farmer, and right across the border in Pennsylvania, you've got this, you've got this massive farm, you're making literally thousands of dollars on royalty payments you've got a brand new motorhome you've paid off your farm and you're on vacation and i'm on the new york side and i'm barely making my mortgage payment that's the difference and yeah. new york is you know they're still the good news for new york is even though you know governor Cuomo doesn't like pipelines what he doesn't get is if you turn the gas off to new york city there would be absolute chaos and darkness. That's how serious it is. And here's a guy that's in a position of power, position of, position of leadership, and doesn't grasp. I mean, if he really believes what he says, let's shut New York off. Let's run it on wind and solar and show us how it works, if that's what you believe. Right. And I think I feel like he's taking advantage of his – I mean, because everybody got lives to live. And a lot of people, I, you know, there's things I don't worry about. I just – I don't know. Remember, I don't know how a car – you know, in general, but – 
I don't know every detail about my car engine. I really don't care as long as it starts when I, you know, turn the key. And, you know, as long as the lights are on, the people in New York City probably don't care, and, you know, they'll believe whatever Cuomo wants to tell them. Turn those lights off. Go to, go to the Green New Deal. Let's run this baby on wind and solar, and let's see what happens at night. It's not pretty. And if, if, you, if he doesn't believe it, go try it. Let's show us. Show us how it works. And if it works, we'll believe you, and maybe we, we all ought to get off it. But show us. If you really believe that, because you can't even drive – can you imagine? You can't even build a pipeline across New York to get to New England with natural gas. Now, last winter, and it's just the second winter it's happened, they're getting, they're getting LNG that comes from Europe, but it's Russian gas. We pay about 3 bucks a 1,000 cubic feet. It throughout the rest of the country, except New England. When you're getting that gas from Russia, Bert, $100 per, per thousand cubic feet. And, you know, again, that's, you think Putin's making a little money on that? I think, I guarantee you he is. And, I mean, those people, if they really understood what was going on, they, they ought to be rising up and wait a minute. This is nuts. We ought to be using U.S. gas at U.S. prices rather than buying Putin's gas at $100. We should be buying U.S. gas at 3 bucks. I don't get right. it. Right. And, I mean, and I think that's, and, and, that's and here's the, the deal. That we ought right. to be educating people. Here, here's the deal. Look, uh, m- most of the time, somebody's always making money on these deals. So do you want Putin to make the money or do you want, you know, us to make the money? When I say us, it's going to be some of our politicians, some of our businessmen, us. I'd much rather have U.S. Us. people that can have jobs because of that. I mean, you know, whether Thank they're drilling wells or whether they're pipelines or whether they're running compressor stations. Right. And so, so again, it's not perfect, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but like you, I want to be able to come home, turn my light on, turn my AC on, and know that it's there. I, you know what? I am not an outdoorsy kind of guy. I am not the guy who's going to chop wood. I'm not. I'm. I'm not the guy who's uh, who was made uh, and bred to be the uh, the camper type person. I like my creature comforts, and I think that the, if there was an incentive, uh, again, some engineer. Some person smarter than me is going to figure out how to maybe scrub some of the CO2 stuff out of the air. Uh, You know, there's a problem. Some innovative person is going to fix it, especially if they get incentivized. Uh, and, And we see this happen all the time. I mean, you know, you mentioned NASA, and one of you know, it's a great movie, but it's also a great tribute to the human spirit and to engineers. You know, Apollo 11, is Apollo 11 the movie, you know, where, where, you know, these guys, everything that can go wrong is going wrong. The CO2 is out of control, and they're starting to suffocate, or they will run out of oh, oxygen Apollo soon. Apollo 13, where they had that explosion. Apollo 13. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. Apollo 13. And so, you know, so this guy comes to the conference room and he dumps all of this stuff, random stuff on the table and says, this is what our astronauts have. 
we have to fix their problem with the same stuff that they have access to. Let's get to work. And so sure enough, within like an hour, they figure out a way to come up with a CO2 scrubber so they can clean up the air inside the space capsule or whatever it's called. And so my point being is I think that there is a solution for every problem if we allow – as you said earlier, engineers to be creative and for government to get out of the way. I mean, it's just, you know, uh, I, I have a distinct pleasure. I get to hang out with Schwarzenegger a couple of times a year, and we were talking, this is a couple, two or three years ago, where they had found a huge chunk of land that they wanted to use as a solar collection energy um, place, uh, and they had, uh, you know, it was going to hire like four or 500 people. It was going to reduce um, all sorts of, uh, again, carbon stuff and, and just give California the energy that it needs because everybody's heard about the brownouts in California. And so a week or two or three before they're going to start breaking ground, the California EPA found that there was a rodent that made their uh, what's uh, that lived where the solar panel was or the solar energy uh, power place power plant was going to be erected, and they stopped this solar power plant because of this rodent. Now, I think that rodents are fairly smart. And if you are constructing stuff on their home area, they will move out of the way. Now, I am all for being nice to animals. And I think that we, we you know, that, that is something that uh, needs to be done. And, but a rodent over 500 jobs and millions of people with solar energy. I, I just, you know, this is a perfect example of what you're talking about. You have a bunch of people who came up with a creative solution, and all of a sudden government intervene, intervene, and going on 15 years, 20 years later, that solar panel, is, uh, solar power plant has not been erected. Uh, and, so, and so, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we, as a citizen, as a citizenship, we need to take massive action. We need to vote people into office that are going to help us. And we need to say, no, I understand that this rodent family is important, but it's not more important than us. Anyway, but I thought that was a great example of what you were talking about, getting government out of the way. we got to solve some of these problems before we can move on to other problems. And we have the people – I mean, we've seen it from the space program to energy to – Modern medicine, the things we can do, you know, cancer used to be a death sentence. It's not yes. anymore. I mean, you know, I, I can speak from a personal experience that, you know, I'm here because of modern medicine. So I think we ought to be thinking if we focus on people and if we focus on being smart and doing the right thing. And I think the challenge for people is emotion's great, but there's a, also a point that we have to use a little logic and we have to really. Think about who's saying what, and does this make sense? And, you know, understanding a little bit of science and math isn't, isn't bad because, you know, there was a 
there was a I don't you might have seen that I think because I think it was your governor up there in California. He was talking about it was a 60 minute program last I think it was last summer, and the implication that at least my friends were all calling me and saying, hey, looked like Governor Brown said he can replace a 3,000 megawatt nuclear power plant with 60 acres of solar panels. I said, no, he can't. So it works that way. That means the numbers, I said, that's about five megawatts. That plant's got 3,000 in it. You can't do that. There's not enough. You need more land mass to be able to have a shot at it. And the nuclear plant works 24-7. Solar only works when it's sunlight. So those are the common sense things. So we need to know that, you know, we still need to keep nuclear on. We still need oil and gas. We certainly need natural gas because that's the one fuel that when the sun goes down, you can kick it in. If we're smart about how we put these pieces, together, Bert. And we gotta build solutions. We gotta be thinking bigger than that. That's what great leaders do. Think bigger than just our own little problem. We got a world to fix. And whatever we implement here, can we take it to India? Can we take it to China? Can we take it to Japan? And can we help them to implement it there? Because that's the folks that we've got to help. And right now uh, we've got natural gas that's going to India. And to give you an idea of what it's doing to those folks, I got a, my pastor's from India, and he doesn't know, you know, my background, what I do. I just, you know, I ask him, and he was. There was an NPR program about three years ago. And they were talking about the air was in New Delhi was so bad, Bert, that they said half the school-aged children. This was NPR said that they had COPD, and as a grandfather, as a parent, that's devastating. I know people with COPD, yeah. and it's after they've smoked for forty years. But a school kid having COPD because the air is bad. If they were starving, what would we do? We'd have collections in church. We'd be sending them food. We're not going to let kids starve, but it's just bad air. So, you know, nobody showed up with windmills and solar panels. Nothing happened until U.S. started sending shiploads of natural gas over there. And my pastor, I, I asked him, he, he was in New Delhi, I think, last year. I said, how's New Delhi? He said, oh, it's kind of a dirty city. And then he stopped, and he said, you know, something, though, Greg. He said, since I was there last time, about three years ago, he said, the air's cleaner. And I said, what's going on, Father? And he said, well, you know, they're using more natural gas. So here's U.S., fracked wells, shipping gas to India that's cleaning up the air in New Delhi, helping school kids. Now, doggone it, to me, that's the right thing to do. We'll frack wells here. We know we can do it right and safe and clean. Ship our gas over there, and let's help some kids. I mean, nobody seems to want to. Nobody else took that on, but that's the stuff. Now, and there may be down the road other ways, to your, to your point, that we can find other technologies that will help those people. But at the end of the day, we better be thinking about cleaning up the air over there because it doesn't stay in India and doesn't stay in China. It's coming to California first and then my way after that. Sure. Hey, listen, we're out of time. I want to say thank you so much, uh, Greg, for stopping by. In the show notes, I put some links to not only Greg's uh, website, but uh, to his two books, Greg Gazora. Gazora, thank you so much. Gazora, thank you so much for stopping where you can see how this gas and our energy is being used to bring industry back to this country. I love it. Thank you, Greg. Good stuff there from Greg Gazora. Cozera. I don't know why I'm all in trouble having having trouble with that. My lips must be wearing out. Greg Gazera, ShellCrescentUSA.com, Shell, S-H-A-L-E, CrescentUSA.com. That's also in the show notes along with his two books, Learned Leadership, Just the Fracks, Ma'am. Good stuff. 
we can all do more. We can do hard things. We can overcome our problems. We can work together and uh, and make uh, make our lives uh, better and, and and really change stuff. We just sometimes have to not be complacent. Anyway, let's share this episode with everyone we know. Let's help more people understand what's going on with the new green deal or the green new deal and with fracking. As always, my friends, thank you so much for stopping by and sharing. Remember, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.